stage, I'll engage. Give me a podium, I'll perform. Give me a mic, I'll speak, rant, chant, sing. But wait, was I already born with a microphone in my mouth? Was I born with a sword in my hand? Am I already airborne as a bird? I know my destination and destiny. I may be small, but I think big. If I can't be seen, make sure I'm heard. If others aren't heard or seen, I make sure they're heard and seen. Make sure others also know we're all born with mics in our mouths, swords in our hands, microphones, bullhorns, our weapons, smartphones, tablets, computers, our The stage, ours. We should all Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side tonight in the wee hours of December 4th. And uh, I feel very vindicated that our good friend Rose Tang, in the music that we just opened with, said, give me a mic and I'll rant. (laughs) Good to uh, know of another fellow self-identified ranter, Rose. Yeah, that was uh, the voice of Rose Tang, musician, veteran journalist, human rights advocate, and uh, famously survivor of the June 1989 Tiananmen Square Massacre. Uh, We uh, actually did an interview with Rose back in June 2019, I believe it was, on the Counter Vortex podcast, Uh, sort of an oral history of her memories of 
that historic month of June 1989, when she was a student protester in Beijing. And she just released this disc entitled Attitude! With an exclamation mark. So I guess you got to say it like that. Attitude! By a uh, conglomeration that she calls Pause and Effect. Or I should say, they call. Because it's a, uh, a trio, newly released disc, from a label called ESP Disc. You can check them out online at ESPDISK.com. In their uh, sort of um, self-created genre, which they quite evocatively and appropriately call weird shit. (laughs) Kind of a uh, beatnik jazz groove with a post-punk sensibility, I would say. And I would submit that in addition to being weird shit, it's also good shit. And for those of you who are on the identity politics tip, I will point out that the trio is entirely made up of Asian women. Rose Tang, of Mongol and Sichuanese background, on vocals and guitar, and piano and some other stuff. Ayumi Ishito, from Japan, on the tenor sax. And Wen Ting Wu, from Taiwan, on drums and percussion. And some of the material on this disc has got... um implicit references to Tiananmen Square 1989, as well as explicit references to the current protest movement meeting with um, harsh and totalizing repression at the moment in Hong Kong, which relates to what we're going to be discussing tonight on this episode of the Counter Vortex podcast. We've offered, from, you know, our side of the planet, attempted to offer some solidarity as well as critical analysis on the protest movement in Hong Kong, which has certainly been extremely heroic and inspiring, but I would submit hindered in certain aspects by um, campism and ethnic scapegoating. And what I mean by the first, campism, is the tendency among the Hong Kong protesters to look to the United States and the United Kingdom for succor and protection, thereby allowing the Chinese state to more easily paint the protests as fomented or somehow conjured by Western imperialism, which is very much the propaganda. And uh, by ethnic scapegoating, I mean uh, the animus toward mainlanders, which has been displayed on occasion by the Hong Kong protesters. You could sort of take issue as to whether this is exactly ethnic scapegoating, as the Hong Kongers and mainlanders alike are overwhelmingly Han, although the Hong Kongers are Cantonese-speaking rather than Mandarin-speaking. But increasingly, the Hong Kongers are developing their own distinct identity. And there's nothing wrong with that, per se. But I have misgivings about the seeming stigmatization of mainland Chinese, and the failure to at least attempt to, uh, you know, seriously build solidarity with the protest movements on mainland China, which do exist. Perhaps it's a little bit um, ambitious to call it a protest movement exactly, but there are definitely protests in mainland China. And I noted on the Counter Vortex website, on the Counter Vortex blog, at the time, back at the uh, at the very peak of the protests in Hong Kong in uh, July 2019, there was also an uprising 
mass unauthorized protest against the construction of a waste incinerator in Wuhan, the metropolis on the Yangtze River in Hubei province, which unfortunately would just a few months later become famous for being the place where the COVID-19 virus seemingly first emerged, and certainly first was identified. And I would like to think that there were protesters in Hong Kong who were inspired by the protests in Wuhan and attempted to offer them a voice and express some solidarity. But I must admit that I did not hear that that happened. Now, there are two stories which were in the news this past week, which I also blogged about on countervortex.org, which exemplify this dilemma, which I'm discussing, in two disparate parts of the world, where people who were pissed off for damn good reason and launched an uprising. But in one case, it was derailed into campism and ethnic scapegoating. And in the other, it wasn't. But on the contrary, the people on the ground actually overcame entrenched and bitter ethnic divisions to make common cause against common oppressors. All right, to begin with the first, how many of you out there were even aware that there was just a mass uprising prompting foreign military intervention in the Solomon Islands, an archipelago nation-state in the South Pacific? I blogged this on uh, November 29th. Solomon Islands Uprising in the New Cold War. <clears throat> Australia has dispatched some 100 police and military troops to the Solomon Islands following days of rioting and looting in the capital, Oniara. Papua New Guinea has also sent troops, and Fiji says a contingent is en route, calling for Prime Minister Manasa Sogavare to resign. Protesters attempted to set the parliament building ablaze and torched and looted shops, causing millions of dollars in damages. The looting centered on the city's Chinatown, where three charred bodies have been found amid the ruins. Most of the protesters are reportedly from the island of Malaita, where people have long complained of neglect by the central government. Settlers from Malaita have increasingly been moving to Oniara on the central island of Guadalcanal for work over the past generation. This has led to tensions between the Malaita islanders and the Guales, or Guadalcanal islanders, which erupted into violence in 1999 with a four-month state of emergency imposed. Malaita's provincial government also strongly opposed the central government's decision to switch diplomatic recognition from Taiwan to the People's Republic of China. The Solomons were among a dozen Pacific Island states that recognized Taiwan until the 2019 switch, as it is locally known. Taipei accused Beijing of using dollar diplomacy to sway small countries in the region to shift recognition. In the lead-up to the switch, Chinese firms poured investment into the Solomons, especially for roads and other infrastructure to revive the mothballed Gold Ridge Mine on Guadalcanal. There was even a bid, ultimately rejected by the central government, 
for Beijing's China Sam Enterprise Group to lease the entire island of Tulaji as a port facility. Malaita's premier, Daniel Suidani, meanwhile issued an Auki communique, named for the provincial capital, dissenting from the switch and barring all Chinese investment from the province. The communique played to social conservatism, citing the Christian faith of the local population and the atheist ideology, quote-unquote, of the Chinese state. Suidani also pointedly traveled to Taiwan this June for medical treatment, a trip condemned by the central government as unauthorized, quote-unquote. Sogavare, the prime minister, responded to the uprising by saying it had been fomented by foreign powers with an evil intention, quote-unquote, to topple him, adding that they have a very big influence. I don't want to name names. We'll leave it there, end quote. But there was little doubt that he was talking about the United States and Taiwan. Only 15 countries around the world now continue to maintain diplomatic recognition of Taiwan. Okay, a few observations about all of this. First, it is maddening that yet again, doubtlessly legitimate economic grievances are being siphoned off into pointless xenophobia, and in this case, xenophobia. Even if those grievances are in part linked to Chinese neo-mercantilism in the Solomon Islands, venting deadly rage on Chinese immigrant shopkeepers is ugly scapegoating that only serves to delegitimize the uprising. That said, it is certainly a perverse historical irony to see China treating the Solomon Islands the same way the great powers of yester-century treated China during its century of humiliation, as it has been officially dubbed. As for the diplomatic angle at work here, we will point out that if it weren't for the absurd one-China fiction, governments could recognize both Taiwan and the People's Republic of China. If the long taboo on this obvious solution is now eroding in Taiwan, it is more of an entrenched dogma than ever in Beijing. A final irony is that Australia, now notoriously spatting with China, is basically serving here as Beijing's regional enforcer. This responsibility falls to Australia because it is officially under the same sovereign, Queen Elizabeth, as what had been, until 1978, the British Solomon Islands Protectorate. So the remnant structures of British colonialism are now effectively serving the interests of Chinese neo-mercantilism. For all of the resurgent inter-imperial rivalry, the contemporary world powers ultimately have everything invested in stability, as it is called, the uninterrupted functioning of the global capitalist Leviathan, and will close ranks when push comes to shove. That's why they call it a great game. The great game, that famous uh, term which was coined by the uh, British statesman and diplomat Lord Curzon, what, a century and a half ago, 
basically referring to the game being played between uh, between Britain and Russia for control of Asia. But now it's really being played uh, by Anglo-American imperialism against China, most obviously for control of the Pacific, but also for control of Asia and Africa and the world. But once again, the fact that, you know, Australia, which is in the middle of all of this diplomatic sniping with China now, is intervening in the Solomon Islands under the, you know, remnant mechanisms of British colonialism to put down an anti-Chinese uprising is certainly something of an irony. (laughs) Another one to file under hashtag Orwell would shit. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the crimes ordinance in Hong Kong, which was uh, instated under the British colonial administrators of the city to crack down on communist subversion and is still on the books and is being used by the contemporary authorities to crack down on protesters against the Chinese Communist Party. So bizarre. Okay. We're going to hear a little bit more from Attitude by the rockin' trio Pause and Effect, featuring our good friend Rose Tang on vocals and really crazy guitar. Really, really crazy guitar. (laughs) It's kind of understated in the background, but I've heard her perform live and uh, it's pretty crazy. That first cut we heard was entitled Gimme a Mic and I'll rant, etc. This next one we're going to hear is entitled Flames With No Names. And it is the cut on this CD, which most um, explicitly references the Hong Kong protests and also, again, implicitly invokes Rose's own memories of Tiananmen Square 1989. Uh, Before we hear it, there's just one thing I want to say kind of on a uh, didactic note here is that there's a phrase which she repeats more than once, add oil, which is Hong Kong slang. I mean, it basically means, you know, when you want to express um, enthusiasm, like the way we would say, right on, or you go, they say, add oil. <laughs> and in the context of the uh, the protest, it's, it's kind of come to mean, you know, let's, let's, let's keep things up. Let's take things to the next level. And of course, I will add, by the way, that uh, it's very... Um, very seasonally appropriate for Hanukkah. Add oil. Flames with no names. Dedicated to Hong Kongers and all other pro-democracy protesters around the world. Thirty years. Four continents I wander. I still hear the tanks roar like thunder. I wonder where those flames of fire come from. Flames without names. Dancing spirits I could not pin down. Now, I finally stopped worrying, stopped wondering, 
Flames are just flames. A natural combustion of legit rage. I have every right to add oil. Light up more flames of wrath. I don't need to name the flames or explain it, let alone extinguish it. My ire, my fire, my fury, my fury. Why do I have to tolerate fucking uglies that have no talents or morals, but all the worst human traits? Why do I have to be reactive, resisting the aggressive? Violence has never gone out of fashion. There's so much bullshit, and I'm quite sick of it. How dare you, Fugglies, grabbing Earth by her throat, repeatedly rape her and eat her children? My ire, my fire, my fury. I'm burning with anger. How dare you beat our kid? How dare you? But you can never kill all of us. This is your last hurrah and your last supper. Is ours. All my anger is right. None of your acts are just or justified. My ire, my fire, my fury. My ire, my fire. My fury, you're waging a war on us, on the universe, multiverse.
no names. My anger, my fire, my fury. Once again, that was Flames With No Names from Pause and Effect from their new disc, Attitude, available from ESP Disc in, I believe, Brooklyn, New York. All right, this next uh, piece I'm going to read on a much more hopeful note than that last one about the Solomon Islands. I actually wrote this one the very next day, that is to say, November 30th. Environmental uprising in Serbia and Kosovo. Kosovo being the uh, pronunciation which is used by the Albanian majority of that country, as opposed to the more common rendering Kosovo used by the Serb minority. I'm using the Albanian rendering just to make a little point and to be different. Okay. In what local media are calling an environmental uprising, protesters blocked roads and occupied public squares in Belgrade and other towns across Serbia on November 27th to oppose plans for a lithium mine at Loznica, or is it Loznica? On the Drina River, Anglo-Australian company Rio Tinto has been buying up land in the area in anticipation of final approval of the project, but concerns over a toxic threat to local waters have sparked widespread outrage over the plan. Civil society organizations are also angry over a recent reform of Serbia's referendum law, which they say is aimed at effectively stopping popular initiatives against polluting projects by imposing hefty administrative fees. They are also opposed to a new expropriation law, which allows mandatory sale of private lands to the state for development projects with only eight days prior notice, provisions which appear to be uh, the fruit of very heavy lobbying by foreign mineral interests. Scattered clashes with police were reported during the November 27th demonstrations, And of course, because this is the Balkans, some of the uh, repression was farmed out to unaccountable paramilitary groups. 
at the town of, um, apparently, at the town of Sabach, a group of unidentified masked men assaulted protesters at a roadblock and attempted to drive a bulldozer through the human blockade, setting off what looked to be like some really vicious fighting from the uh, video footage that I saw. The legal reforms were clearly pushed through to facilitate a new thrust of mineral exploitation in Serbia. China's Zijin Mining Group, whose ecologically destructive activities in Peru I have also written about, just began operations at the Sukaru Peki copper and gold mine near the town of Bor. The project is anticipated to make Serbia Europe's second top copper producer after Russia. But Zijin's plans for a mine at nearby Jama, also part of the overall Timok megaproject, were held up by a court order earlier this year. The court found that the company failed to comply with environmental standards and ordered construction of a wastewater treatment plant before the facility can open. Well, that's something anyway. Meanwhile, across the border in Kosovo, environmentalists claimed a victory November 29th as the country's Supreme Court suspended the permit for the Brezovica hydropower plant on the Lepenc River. Legal challenge had been brought by the local Group for Legal and Political Studies and Gaia Kosovo. Gaia, of course, being a reference to the uh, ancient Greek earth goddess. For the past years, plans for the project to be built by the private Matkos Group, which is a local Kosovar company, but probably has some private capital, some foreign capital behind it, uh, protest against the project to be built by the private Matkos Group, have repeatedly sparked angry protests by residents of the nearby village, which I believe is pronounced Sterpce. It is a different spelling in Albanian and Serbian, but uh, I'm pretty sure the pronunciation must be fairly similar in both. I'm going to go with Sterpce. Albanians and Serbs alike came together to oppose the project, which would flood agricultural lands while depriving water to downstream communities. Both the movements against the Loznica mine in Serbia and the Brezovica dam in Kosovo have adopted the slogan, Water is Life. The protesters at Sterpce coming together across ethnic lines is a very significant sign of hope. Kosovo declared independence from Serbia in 2008 nine years after a bitter war that pitted its ethnic Albanian and Serb populations against each other. Since then, many countries around the world, prominently excluding Serbia, have come to recognize Kosovo's independence, but NATO continues to maintain a significant troop presence in the country. More than a generation after the outbreak of the last round of Balkan wars, it looks like the peoples of the former Yugoslavia, are starting to grasp an inevitable reality, the ethno-nationalist extremism that has caused so much suffering in the region, has been concomitant with a loss of any real local control over land, labor, and resources 
to multinational entities like Rio Tinto and Zijin Mining Group, and a corollary, reclaiming any real local control, will entail rebuilding cross-ethnic solidarity. So, there you have it. Not every day that you get a little glimmer of hope from the Balkans in the former Yugoslavia, but here we have it. And isn't it interesting that the two big multinational corporations with mineral interest in Serbia now are an Anglo-Australian company, Rio Tinto, and a Chinese company, Zijin Mining Group, which, despite all of the supposed tensions between these two imperial blocs, the Anglo-Australian or Anglo-American-Australian and the Chinese, are presumably united in their effort to undermine Serbia's fragile democracy and turn it into a corporate state. And you know what would really rock? If the movements against the Loznica mine in Serbia and the Breznovica hydro dam in Kosovo could make common cause with each other across what has for long been a hostile border, that would really add oil. Just like all you guys who are making latkes for Hanukkah tonight. I say all solidarity with the environmental uprising in Serbia and the ecological resistance in Kosovo. And note the little study in contrast here. The protesters in Serbia and Kosovo are showing the way, folks. And I submit that this is an example that protesters in the Solomon Islands and Hong Kong and New York City can learn from. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance. Rant on you next time. And for all of you Hong Konger and Jewish listeners out there, add oil!